Hello, and welcome to the Data IQ podcast. I'm David Reed, bringing you interviews and insights from the data and analytics industry. There's power in, in the collective voice um, and in, in the collective view. In this edition, we have two extended interviews for you. Coming up, I speak to Noma Kaiva, Chief Data Officer and Chief Statistician at the Department for Education. With school closures and exam schedules very much in the headlines, it is the data provided by his team that forms the basis of key policy decisions. And we also talk about holding two very different roles. Part of living in a democracy is that we should be putting information into the public domain that allows citizens to make up their own mind about the policies of the day. It's an actual pinnacle of of democracy. But first, the winner of the Grand Prix in the 2020 DataIQ Awards was the NatWest Data Academy. It also won the award for Best Development Programme. Responsibility for creating, running, and enhancing the Academy falls to Lynn Usher, Data Capability Manager. She told me how the bank set about building the programme and what impact it has seen. So Lynn, firstly, you were the winner, or the winners, of two Data IQ Awards this year for Best Development Programme and, of course, our Grand Prix. Can you tell us how it felt when you heard that and also what the response has been internally? It was like winning all over again last week, actually, David, when one trophy arrived one day and then another trophy arrived the next day. So both trophies um, currently at home on my desk, just here, actually, um, waiting for us to be able to get back into the office again where we'll place them very nicely in their trophy cabinet. We won uh, both awards and it felt amazing. Um, It's been hard work and the recognition has really helped to feel more worthwhile. Um, internally, people are still commenting now. Um, I, I join calls and I get introduced as Lynn from the double award-winning Data Academy. It rolls off the tongue quite well. Um, and naturally, we saw an influx of um, uptake in the Data Academy learning uh, since the, the, the win as well, which has been fabulous. The awards were for the NatWest Data Academy, and I understand that you were the first bank to set up something on that scale, certainly around training at that scale. How daunting was that? And where do you start? It's a good question. Um, It was daunting. It was a big ask. It was a big challenge. And at the same time, it was exciting. It was hugely exciting. And I have to say that there was a really collaborative approach internally. Um, It's never been about um, any one person. It's been about our broader leadership team. Um, It's been about a bank decision, if you like, from a bank-wide perspective, that we need to A, deliver on our customers' needs for the future, but also ensure that our teams are always um, at the forefront of technology and meeting their learning needs. Um, So in a way, that's where we started. We started with the customer what, what is the customer looking for um, and will be looking for as things are evolving? Um, and then we looked internally to see what do we need to do to uh, meet that need. As part of that, we also consulted with our teams. 
our, our staff really know, you know, what's coming and what's cutting edge in terms of tooling. So consulting them helped us to keep them motivated, but also brought them on the journey with us so that when the learning was launched, they were ready and, and quite literally waiting to sign up. So does that suggest that the, the, you didn't have any any programs at all? Or was this sort of bringing together strands of things that, that already existed? So we have different programs, but this was a, a program that was strategically aimed at closing critical skills gaps to do what we need to start to do in the future. Well, you you touched on there about how the key focus is on ensuring that, that your, your incumbent staff and also new recruits do have these skills for the, the jobs of tomorrow. How do you scan the horizon for, for what is going to be needed? So we work with many, many partners. Um, I was surprised at how willing some of our partners um, are um, still and were to share uh, what they were doing. Um, we were very motivated not to enforce our current practices. If, if there were new practices that we should be looking at, we were very open-minded. Um, and so we collaborated with, um, we spoke with Google, we spoke with Amazon, um, we spoke with some of the, the leading um, players in the industry really to understand some of them had products to offer us. We were looking at what their, their tools and products could do for us, but also how they were running, let's say, you know, um, data analytics departments and labs and you know what were they doing that we could learn from it was very much a learning as we went along too um and we we weren't afraid to ask questions and we weren't afraid to fail we looked at a variety of tools the learning really was how they run their communities of practice so the communities of practice kind of recycling the knowledge so as one of our learners has learned something they might bring it back to the community and say this is why you should go and have a look at this so there was areas outside of the actual learning itself where we could um, gain insights from those other organizations to have bigger impact have greater impact really you've got four communities of practice that are data related what does a community of practice mean for for you at, at natwest group lynn is, is that something that is self-organized by the people within it do you drop things into that so they then get uh, picked up and distributed elsewhere? How does it work for you? So the community is um, a community for the community, um, led and run by the community. There is people that steer the community and support the community. But the idea behind the communities essentially are, I would say, collaboration, um, education, and networking. So very much whatever the community wants it to be, really. So it's a one where we might have an external speaker come along and maybe they are introducing a new tool or maybe the new technique. The community very much sets the agenda. So among the early courses that you offered were data science and advanced analytics. Can you tell us about the demand for those skills and also whether you've seen any outcomes uh, from people who've taken them? Demand has been huge. Initially, we were quite strict with the selection process. Uh, We wanted to ensure that those that were going to be able to apply the tools and had access to the tools um, were able to access the courses um, as a priority. And then once those critical staff had been through the course, we were able to open it up more broadly. One of those staff members, in terms of um, outcomes now, David, one of those staff members actually reached out to us after she had applied what she'd learned from um, a machine learning engineer. 
money degree that she had done and she built um, a model for risk. It was a machine learning model. Um, and what it did effectively is it helped us lend more responsibly um, and also to more customers. Uh, we was able to identify customers who were previously being excluded from our um, from our at-risk appetite and for one reason or another and actually increase the volume of customers that we were able to lend to as a result of the training. Often when we talk about academies and learning and development programs, the focus is just on the upskilling and reskilling of colleagues, but that points to the fact there can be genuine business benefit from putting this type of activity in place. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think the the number was 2.6% increase in the number of loans accepted, uh, which is a win for us as a business, but it's obviously a win for the customer as well um, that may normally have had their loan not accepted because it wasn't within risk appetite, just simply by um, applying something different in the model. Is the Data Academy now fully formed or are there new modules that you're planning to introduce? I'm not sure that the Data Academy will ever be fully formed, David. <laughs> um, I say that purely due to the nature um, of our business. It's a fast-moving world. Things evolve constantly. And not only do the tools and techniques change, but the ways of working with those tools are constantly um, evolving. So, yes, we're developing new modules, absolutely. It's important to us that everybody has access to the same level of data literacy. We're looking at democratising the data and providing people with ways to self-serve that data. What's the response been within the bank? Could the Data Academy provide a model to develop other types of skills within the organisation? I guess in some ways it has. Um, as a bank, we now have a group-wide um, NatWest Learning Academy providing people with one place to go for all of their learning needs uh, and the data academy sits within that i have had reach outs actually from other areas of the bank that are thinking about um starting an x academy i'm not sure how much i can say um but i i would say that it is a model that could be applied um to other areas um when i've had those reach outs i, I guess what, what i've done essentially is is share some of the lessons that we talked about earlier in terms of, you know, learn, evolve, um, and iterate as you go. What about the, the effects when it comes to recruiting new talents? Uh, are candidates identifying this as an important benefit and a reason for them to join the bank? They are. I, I think it's the environment that people are finding uh, appealing. So the whole community feel the, the access to tooling, um, as well as the training, and also the focus from the organisation on the importance of learning and education for the staff. It's important for us that our staff have access to the best learning, uh, and we know that that's one of um, the biggest motivators um, in this kind of industry when people are looking for a job. Finally, you mentioned people within NatWest Group reaching out to you to talk about their own development programs. But what about um, broadly, if anyone out there in our community is thinking of setting up their own version of a data academy, 
Are there any tips that you would give them or uh, things that you've learned that they should definitely do and even those that they should definitely not do? Absolutely. I would say definitely involve the teams. There's power in in the collective voice um, and in, in the collective view, but also be comfortable in challenging those views at times. Um, engage externally, um, you know, see what's coming down the line, do a bit of horizon scanning. In terms of what not to do, don't be afraid to fail. Embrace the journey and the evolution of the journey as you go. Maybe it's not about failure, but it's just about a continued cycle of growth. We have pretty much done what we said we were going to do and more, which is a great reflection. Um, And I think what's more than that is the impact that we've had on the organisation and our learners is, is far greater than what we could have imagined when we started out. So, Neil, firstly, you're Chief Data Officer at the Department for Education. Can you give us an insight into the data realm that you are responsible for? Yeah, sure. So, um, here at the department, we're responsible for children's services and education, including early years, schools, higher and further education policy and apprenticeships and wider skills in England. So, as the department, we've got oversight of some of the really big, important systems of care and education that really matter to large numbers of people. And we've got about the third largest budget in Whitehall, so nearly £70 billion in delegated expenditure. And much of that is distributed to fund the schools and college sectors. And we've got about 9,000 open academies that contract directly with us, 1.9 million enrolments into higher education institutions in England, about 1.4 million people with special educational needs and every day in a single normal year and of course 2020 isn't a normal year is it but nearly nine million children go to school attending over 24,000 schools in England and on top of that we run a range of citizen facing digital services so so that's what we do as a department we hold some of the richest and most comprehensive data sets probably in the world and it's my responsibility to ensure that all of our data are managed and maintained effectively efficiently and safely and I directly manage 26 data ingestion collection services over 90,000 annual data returns in addition to a COVID daily data collection that I set up in March 2020 to understand the impact of COVID on the sector and that's been generating nearly half a million data returns every month. On top of that I approve over about 300 data sharing requests annually. And I own and produce some of the massive longitudinal cross-government administrative data sets. Just briefly in my spare time, I'm also the chief statistician. I lead the knowledge and information management functions and the data protection function of the department. And I'm also the department's senior information risk owner. I suppose also it strikes me that the majority of people in this country will have been through the education system here, wouldn't they? So they will be part of that that whole data capture process absolutely so as i say we're collecting data daily from schools at the moment to help manage the coronavirus um that's not individual level data it's aggregated data but it's data on all the the nine million or so children we have in And, and one of the large um administrative data sets we track individuals through primary secondary tertiary education into employment so we can sort of look back in time and cast forward in time as well to understand the impact of policy changes on education educational outcomes and employment outcomes. You mentioned there about combining being the chief data officer with the role of chief statistician what does 
that mean? What is a what is the chief statistician role, and how does that overlap with being the CDO? I'm always really passionate to say that I'm the chief data officer and the chief statistician, and the reason I do this is 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 quite often people see data as being a subset of analysis, or separately data being a subset of digital. And I see data standing as its own, supporting the statistics analysis functions of organizations, but also supporting the digital operations of organizations as well. So, so as the chief statistician, I actually have a, 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 a role set out in legislation, the Statistics and Registrations Act 2007. And I have a dotted line to the country's national statistician. So I'm responsible as chief statistician in the department for ensuring that all the official and national statistics that we publish from the Department of Education are trustworthy, of high quality, and have the highest levels of integrity as set out in the UK Statistics Code of Practice. So, for example, I need to ensure that the statistics we put out are free from political interference. I also have a role in ensuring that the department and ministers are aware and adhere to those codes of practice. My team sort of publishes around 80 official statistical series. Um, I also have responsibility as a head of profession for building the capability of the 200 or so professional statisticians throughout the department and our executive agencies. It's, it's really important, in my view, that we see a separation of roles between digital operational systems, the data, which is the enabling function that holds the glue together in an organisation, and the exploitation analytical side of those data. Because I think without that, you can't run efficient effective systems across the piece. So, so I sit alongside the chief digital and technology officer, and I also separately sit alongside the chief analyst. Part of living in a democracy is that we should be putting information into the public domain that allows citizens to make up their own mind about the policies of the day. So, so as a civil servant, very much I work for the government of the day, but in my role as a chief statistician, I have a duty to make sure that the data we put out are impartial and free from political interference. And, and you know, it's, it's, it's unique, I think, or semi-unique in the UK um, to most other countries, but, it, but it's, it's an actual pinnacle of, of the democracy. How would you describe the level of data literacy across the Department for Education and perhaps beyond them uh, out into the stakeholders uh, in educational establishments? Well, first of all, I think the, the, the decision just over three years ago to recruit for a chief data officer sitting alongside chief technology officer and chief analyst is a really good in, in indication of the high level of um, literacy uh, uh, across the organisation. Now, it is variable. Like in all organisations, we have variable levels. So some areas are well-developed. Other areas, maybe data is treated as a bit of an afterthought. Um, and, and part of my role is, is to develop the data cultures. And having a, a chief data officer at a director level, so that's senior civil servant pay band two level, in the organisation enables us to do that organisationally. And personally, I found a bit of a mixed mode approach is needed. So on the surface, to, to, to increase data cultures and data literacy, being able to demonstrate the business benefits of, of, of having that, that culture and, and, and demonstrating that with the support of data experts and highly skilled data individuals, areas in the business then are more likely and able to meet their own business objectives. So I see being a data leader as a bit of a selfless occupation. So, so my main task, as I see it, is to enable others to, to deliver and shine 
And in that sense, was sort of one of the most corporate functions of any organization. But I think there's another area as well, and, and this is around, you know, we, we quite often are uniquely positioned to identify a problem and identify a solution to that problem where an area is struggling. And, and, and sometimes by offering just to get stuck in and help sort it out, builds that reputation that results in data experts really being invited to the big tables much earlier in the conversation. One thing that we've just been involved in just this week is, is, is building uh, a, a mini robot. It's really automation to, to ease a business process blockages on a piece of work that's enabling students to return to higher education colleges and universities after the Christmas break. And seeing the problem and being able to bring experts to bear on that and create a solution within a matter of days and weeks has has unblocked a process and enabled my policy colleague leading on that one to to deliver what they need to deliver. And you mentioned there that the CDO role was created uh, three years ago. Does that reflect how data is establishing itself in the public sector uh, similarly to, to the growth that we've seen in the commercial sector, Neil? Over the last probably about five years, data suddenly been seen to be important. It's definitely um, getting a lot of uh, prevalence across government. And, and also on the exploitation side, the, the real value that, that the amazing assets we have across government can add to the policy narrative. So, so again, to give an example, I've been working over the last few weeks with a team from Number 10, to deliver a data literacy training course, which is going to be rolled out across all senior civil servants in the civil service. And this is mostly focused on end use. So, so, you know, how do we understand and build policies and evaluate those policies to understand their impact? But but, but where I've been adding value is, is some of the basics in, in, in plain English about why it's important also we think about data infrastructure across government so that we can have that interoperability between systems within government and across government to actually add the value and monetize the massive data assets that we have here. The current COVID pandemic has really shone a light on how not only we use data, but how we work across those departmental boundaries. Clearly, 2020 has seen a huge disruption to education. Can you talk us through how your data department responded to that and, for example, new demands that must have arisen um, over the course of the year? Yeah, of course. So so back in March, when, when all this was sort of starting, end of February, March, when this was kicking off, we as a department set up a, a COVID response unit. And, and within that COVID response unit, we've set up a central intelligence hub. And, and the purpose of that intelligence hub is to gather all the information away to understand how COVID is impacting on the education system, but also conversely, how the education system may or may not be impacted on COVID and the infection rates. Um, one of the important things to understand there was, was what was happening on a day-to-day basis in schools and colleges across England. So I set up a team, a, a, a red squad, um, to, to, to see how we could build a daily ingest of information from the 24,000 or so schools and colleges. Because it was really, really important for us, first of all, in the early days, to understand the impacts of policy decisions. So back on the 23rd of March 2020, the government made a decision to close schools except for vulnerable children and uh, critical worker, children of critical workers. And that was feeding into some of the modelling being done by SAGE to understand how we could keep on top of the R rate. And there were some assumptions in that modelling. So, for example, if, if the number of vulnerable children and 
children of critical workers, key workers, was more than 20% of, of the overall attendance, so more than 20% of that 9 million children that attended school daily, it would actually have a different impact on the models. So we really needed to understand what was happening on a day-to-day -day basis on the ground to feed into the big decisions that were being made on what we call non-pharmaceutical in interventions for coronavirus. So I set up this daily data collection. We set it up in a way that I could authenticate all the returns. What I didn't want is people hacking into my system and screwing up all the data. But it also meant that I could ensure that we didn't get duplicated returns and keep an eye on things. We set up a system by every day, schools and colleges were letting us know how many children in school and how many teachers were in school and, and if their school was open or, or closed and the like. So we automated the end-to-end -end process so that Ultimately, I was able to, within 30 minutes of receiving the data from the schools, sit in front of the Secretary of State and talk through exactly what was happening on the ground that morning. So I did reports to my Secretary of State at half past 10 in the morning, half past noon and half past four in the evening, which meant that that data flowing through to the Prime Minister's unit in number 10 and that we could actually make really decision based on what we knew was going on the ground through the whole of England. And what it's enabled us to do on the back of it is, is, is enabled our data scientists to, to forecast the implications of policy decisions. Have you been able to share those learnings um, further afield, for example, in other countries that have been trying to deal with the, the similar crisis? Yes, absolutely. And I've been fortunate enough to have been invited to give many sort of keynote speeches, both um, uh, in the UK and, and abroad. Um, a lot of cross-government conversations about how we can do things better. I was also fortunate enough to be invited to talk, uh, give a keynote speech to cross-state experts in Australia. And, and also, um, just at the beginning of the pandemic, February, March time, invited to talk to data experts across the New Zealand government as well. Education is so important to children and to their life opportunities. Do you see what you do as aligning with the concept of data for good? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, part of the role of the chief statistician is, is around ensuring that we can have data for good. We have processes in place that I've led on to ensure that external researchers in the field of education can have safe and secure access to, to a lot of our underlying data so that researchers can understand what works and what doesn't work in the field of education. But not only has the data that we've been collecting this year led to ensuring that as a nation we can really balance the health needs of a nation with the education needs of our children and, and what is a bigger public good from that. But it also enables us to keep a close eye on both on the impacts of school opening on the virus and, and the impacts of the virus on education, as I've talked about. This has been the number one priority for, for us as a nation. And enabling access to these data means that we can make, as a government, the best possible decisions we can for, for the public. Having access to these data has enabled both myself and colleagues to, to have direct conversations with with local authorities, with directors of children's services in those local authorities, to, to directors of public health, both on local and regional education-related issues. Personally, I'm really proud of my teams, that the impact that they have made on how, as a nation, we have approached this, this really difficult and challenging year. If this year tells us anything, it's, you know, we have been brilliant at coming together and investing our time and energy to... to what fundamentally is, is, is making sure that we can save as many lives as possible. And that's it for another episode. If you liked it, please link, like and share. 
and until the next time, goodbye.